0: The year that this week's album was released, IBM unleashed Watson on famed Jeopardy! contestant Ken Jennings in a scene that was not as existentially frightening as the beginning of Terminator 2, but not completely benign either. Wonder if James Cameron has the IBM cut lying around somewhere. I met the woman who would become my wife that year, putting the debate to bed about whether or not there is a god. Although one wonders what kind of cruel deity would saddle someone with such a fussy, opinionated amateur podcaster for a husband. I'll leave that conundrum to first-year philosophy students. In a display of uniquely Canadian humility, this week's artist felt uncomfortable releasing music under his own name, deciding instead to use generic substitutes the same way that malt turned Lucky Charms into Marshmallow Mateys, or High Top turned Hamburger Helper into Panburger Partner. This week's album features particularly mesmerizing and beautiful artwork on the cover, a Holland tulip field in bloom. Have you guessed it yet? The year was 2011. The artist is City in Color, so named for its progenitor, Dallas Green. The album is Little Hell. Today on Two Dudes and Tunes. This is Two Dudes and Tunes, the podcast where two dudes talk tunes, their favorite albums to be precise. My name is Chris Robinson and my fellow music loving dude is Wood Johnson. Wood, how are you doing today?
1: Man, it has been a week, but I am excited to be here with you today. What's new with you, man?
0: Well, I've got three things kind of in ascending order of importance. Um, So I tend to, I don't know if you're this way, but I tend to like go through like periods of extreme interest in something and then it drops off completely. And so my latest fad is the most boring white guy passion of all, baseball. I have been super interested in baseball. I'm not sure where it came from. It just kind of hit me out of the blue, but I've got uh, one of my good friends here. Let me borrow his MLB TV login information. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. I've been keeping track of the Royals because as I've mentioned on the podcast, uh, Megan and I met in Kansas So I've been watching the Kansas City Royals this week. Um, uh, Going back in time a little bit to Easter. It was great. Had lunch with the family and just uh, sat around on the porch the rest of the day. It was glorious. And uh, the highlight of my week uh, is really last weekend. Megan and I went with a couple of friends to Amarillo, to the Hodgetown Stadium up there and caught the uh, Flatland, Cavalry, and Midland concert. And, man, it was so good. I I have to say, it's not, you know, music shouldn't be a competition, but Flatland Cavalry blew Midland out of the water. (laughs) It was like, it was, they were so entertaining. Their songs, I think, are a little stronger, and they were mixed really well, too. Like, when Midland took the stage like everything was kind of like muddy Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um and i don't know if that's like a sound guy issue we did kind of notice the lead singer's mic kind of going in and out in volume like not disappearing completely so i don't know what that was about but the thing that was really fun about the concert outside of the music was that it was like they kind of tried to do the social distance thing because they're trying to make people feel safe or whatever to like come back to big events like that. And so we had like a plot of land nice. like on the field. Yeah, it was so nice because it was roped off. And we just brought picnic blankets. We were actually out on the um on the like dirt part of the baseball diamond. I don't know what that's called. <laughs> but um they they had a little patch of astroturf for us. And so we just blankets out there and it's I I gotta say like the height of luxury is being able to lay down in public and listen to music (laughs) it was so nice but um that was like a really good experience and I kind of have like a new favorite country band in Flatland Cavalry I bought a super cool t-shirt and so I'm really excited about that but that was really kind of the highlight of my week what about you what's been going on with you
1: uh we've just kind of been hanging out um I had a 4 day weekend last week uh for uh for Easter so I was off Friday through Monday and so I used kind of the free time after the baby went to sleep to binge watch all 3 seasons of Netflix's uh F1 Drive to Survive series and nice for the majority of my life I have been a stock car racing fan and I love the beating and banging and kind of the the roughshod way, like, stock cars race. And I've always thought that F1 racing was the hoity-toity teacup with the pinky raised up in the air kind of <laughs> racing. Double. Tea What's with the finger? What's that? That's, that's not gangster. That's not gangster. And uh, for, for some reason, I decided to watch this Netflix series because it kept coming up on my recommended for you list. And I was hooked, like, instantly These guys are some of the fiercest competitors I think I've ever seen. And the thing that I found myself drawn to the most that is just probably just a paradigm shift, um, the oldest guy to start a race in the 2020 season was 33 years old, which is my age. And so at 33 years old, they're like retiring drivers out and getting rid of them. And those guys are becoming uh, fitness coaches or, you know, training coaches, mentors to younger drivers in their teens. Uh, but the guys that really kind of got my attention were these team principals who are the, the, the team principal, they're the team captain kind of guy. And they're these older wily guys. There's 10 of them. Cause there's 20 teams. Uh, there's 10 team principals who each oversee two drivers, two cars for their manufacturers. And uh, these guys are just sly and finding ways to get competitive edges over the other teams. Like they're, they were the most entertaining part of the whole thing. So I kind of have something new to kind of turn my attention to that in the past i thought was just, eh, whatever. And now I'm like, nah, this is like real racing. These guys are really going at each other and they really, really want to win, which is a lot of fun to watch.
0: I want a queen. I really want to watch that now. That sounds fantastic. I love the like so one of the things about baseball that it sounds like maybe F one has in common is the like trying to get ahead oh, by okay. like a hook or by a crook. I love that. So I, I definitely need to give that a, a watch.
1: One thing I learned about F1 racing is they publish a rules book every year with all the rules. And in order to compete in F1, you have to build your own car. So you have to be a constructor in order to have a team. And so the teams basically use that rule book both as a blueprint for what they have to do, what's required, like how wide the cars have to be, how tall they have to be, what they have to weigh, but anything that isn't in the rule book is being expressly pro- prohibited is free game.
0: Oh, yeah. And so That's these so guys great. <laughs> are out
1: there just inventing new ways to dial in brake bias or you know to make the car lose weight during the race so it's faster but then gain weight at the end of the race by putting water ballast in and all sorts of crazy stuff that they do to get around the rules and often as in the three seasons that you see here some team gets caught by the other teams and they raise a formal protest and it gets outlawed and it's a huge thing like it's it's awesome
0: Oh, that sounds great! I need to check that out for sure.
1: Yeah, but other than that, man, just uh, doing a bunch of like Marie Kondoing our lives, getting our house kind of cleaned up,
0: and (laughs) right on.
1: I mowed uh, mowed my grass on Monday and smoked a uh, Perdomo, Connecticut Churchill cigar, which made that chore bearable uh, and killed a couple of snakes while doing the the mowing. So.
0: Oh man, you look extra cool out there killing <laughs> snakes with chomping on a cigar. I love it.
1: Ten, ten gallon uh, Stetson, just
0: all these shit. <laughs> yes. Snakes. Oh, Six AM and already the boy ain't right. That's fantastic. But
1: what have you been listening to this week?
0: Hey, so I'm glad you asked. Um I I bring the I brought this up because um or I had it on the show notes rather because it, it's rare for me to discover a new band and automatically like most of what I listen to on a whim. So on Tuesday, I was at work as I usually am, I'm looking for something interesting to listen to. And so I thought just kind of randomly of this band Los Lobos, uh, which I think in Spanish means the Wolves, right? Mm Is that right? Um, And so I just looked on Apple for their like Los Lobos Essentials playlist. And I was really enjoying like every song that came on the playlist. And so I started like, if I heard a song that I liked, I would look at what album it was from and listen to the album. And so I've listened to four of their albums and like every single one. Nice. Like almost to a track. Damn. So, um, just like a super brief, cause I know we've got to get to like our album, but just a super brief, like explanation of their music. Uh, it's blues based rock and roll, right? Like lots of guitars, but they have a sax player and a keyboard player. And, uh, they kind of in- Incorporate like traditional Mexican like folk styles and uh, other elements like cumbias, boleros, norteños, like a lot of stuff that sounds familiar to me just from music that I've heard. Um, And so like, man, I just really liked it. So one of their albums is going to make it onto my list at some point very soon.
1: Well, that's good because I can remember back in. I believe I was in high school the first time I heard one of their albums, and they were opening for, I can't even remember who we were seeing, but they were the opening act, and they were awesome back then, and I've always had a a soft spot for them, so I'm glad you found some good music
0: finally. Oh, man, it's been so nice. I love it. I, 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 <laughs> I got that, like, new music rush, oh, you yeah. know, that's like, oh, finally, like, this is what I've been wanting to listen to, so... That was my, like, new music this week was Los Lobos.
1: Well, that's good to hear, man. I'm excited that you found some new music, but I think we need to turn our attention to this week's album, Little Hell. You ready?
0: Absolutely. Let's do this. So, would I I kind of... I feel like I set you up a little poorly last (laughs) week. I think if we go into the Wayback Machine, you'll hear me say something about falsetto but mm-hmm. that is not right it's just that dallas green has like a higher register he doesn't sing in falsetto so I, wh- what was your experience with this album since i like kind of primed the pump for like bad vibes so um
1: i've got to be honest i was a little worried um because you know the last album before this uh from your list was the bon iver bon Iver. I'm still doing it wrong <laughs> all these weeks later. Uh, and that album was kind of a stretch for me. And then getting teed up with the whole uh, f- get ready for more falsetto. I was kind of cringing as we hit the rollout on the, <laughs> the episode last week. I did put this album on uh, in my car the next day while I was driving to and from work. And um, you're right. It's not falsetto but I kind of have similar feelings to the way I felt for the Bonavera album a couple of weeks ago overall. Um, I'm glad that it's not falsetto, but I would say that one of the issues with Dallas Green that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way is his voice, even though the register is a lot higher, is not, I think, strong enough to carry some of the content that he's trying to get across. Um, I feel like... And I have the same problem. If I talk, if he talks for an hour or if I talk for an hour at the end, my voice would be shot. And I feel like he's just in a couple of these songs really stretching to make it happen. And I wonder how good or how much staying power he has in like an extended concert setting uh, based on that.
0: So I can answer that question with direct experience because (laughs) Uh, this album came out in 2011, which I alluded to in our, like, quiz show intro that um, uh, Megan and I met the year this album was released. And we got engaged in November. And as an uh, engagement gift to ourselves, uh, we bought tickets to go see City in Color in November in Lawrence, Kansas. hmm and I've got to say, it's interesting that the vocals kind of distracted you because he nailed every song note for note. Mm-hmm. Like He is a real excellent performer. Um, but I will say, um, I have heard some people who don't care for this band express dissatisfaction with his voice as the mm-hmm. primary thing Um people whose musical opinions I typically agree with mm-hmm. and trust. And so I think it's interesting that that is kind of a dividing line for people.
1: And I would say I, I did go listen to a couple of his or a couple tracks from some of his other albums to see if that was just a an indictment on this album. But I kind of felt that way with everything that I listened to that. And I I agree, he's a phenomenal musician. Um, the music on this album is very intriguing, uh, but vocally, he's just not what I would expect to go with that musical talent. Uh, I do have to say one more thing. A couple of weeks ago, you went ahead and pointed out that Bonnever's real name was Justin DeYarmond Edison Vernon and gave him a lot of flack for just a crazy out there name. I want to point out that Dallas Green's actual name is. Dallas, Michael, John, Albert green. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so what is it with you and parents who can't figure out what to name uh, their kid?
0: To be fair, I gave his parents flack <laughs> because <laughs> Justin Vernon did not pick his, his name any more than Dallas, Michael, John, Albert green picked his name. Uh, and it does kind of seem like maybe his parents, like just like slapped a phone book up like on a dartboard and just chuck darts at it and whatever, like whatever it landed on, they gave him those, like, what is that? One, two, three, five names. Well,
1: and I feel like it's a prerequisite for somebody ending up on your list that I'm going to start keeping track of that. They have to have more than the three names.
0: Name, yeah. Name count. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, now I'm intrigued. Uh We may have to like start a uh two dudes in tunes wiki just to keep track of like, who has how many names? Why are they so long? What kind of music do they do? Because it's probably all like weepy white dudes with five names out here making like sad folk and uh, indie music.
1: I mean, what happens to being a great musician and having a name like Miles Davis?
0: Just Or, or some, some guys have the confidence to have one name, Sting, <laughs> Prince. True. Some guys are an article in their name, The Edge, and that's it. Or Slash, he's another one. But anyway, I could go on and on. That would bore everyone involved except for me. And Bono. Yeah, yeah, Bono. They're, look, the U2 is a, a double offender. They've got two guys <laughs> who who are, like, too good to use their full name.
1: Hey, I guess it's working for them.
0: Yeah, it's definitely working for them.
1: <laughs> so, so let me let me back up a little bit and say my first impression of this album listening to it while driving in the car was that this album is just depressing. And then that grew <laughs> that grew from this album is depressing to this album is a depressing combination of blues, folk, and punk. And while it's musically intriguing, vocally it falls flat for me. So, so it
0: really took you on a journey is what it, you're saying. It
1: really did. And it's such a weird, I get the combination. Don't get me wrong. I get what Dallas green is doing here and I think he does it pretty well, but the whole underlying of kind of punk structure just does nothing for me in what essentially is my favorite music style, which is folk music.
0: Yeah, it is um, It is interesting. You know, he was in the post-hardcore band Alexis on Fire mm-hmm. and released these songs, not these songs, but started releasing City and Color songs online. And that was kind of how I heard of him, the bassist in the band that I was in that I've mentioned before, I think in the Wish You Were Here episode, uh, Ian. He introduced me to City and Color. I think because he liked Alexis on Fire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and discovered these tracks but it, it it that does give kind of a little bit of a context for he is somebody who is used to playing real loud well, aggressive music.
1: Well, and I think if you were a primarily punk fan, you would get excited to have this kind of other genre of music brought to you. But if you're primarily coming at it from a folk standpoint, the, the punk undertones don't quite jive with what we're used to hearing from say bluegrass or folk music in general.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a style that he takes and kind of bends to his own purposes. It It's funny because it's kind of to put it like a really silly way, Dallas green, uh, Dallas green walked so that for me, Dwight Yoakam could run like the, like folksy country stuff in his music made me feel like, okay, well maybe there's something to country music that I'm missing out on. Mm -hmm. The, the country elements that sucked me in really just boiled down to something as simple as instrumentation Uh, songs. Like we found each other in the dark and uh i believe sorrowing man have a lot of just like pedal steel guitar Mm -hmm. and acoustic um and actually we found each other in the dark uh was really impactful to megan and i so much so that we walked down the aisle uh as man and wife uh to that song um and so like this this album does incorporate a lot of like country and kind of folksier elements in a way that is different than like what somebody who listens to that kind of music as their like bread and butter would be used to so i i can kind of see how that would rub you the wrong way a little bit because it is very much a punk and like post hardcore take on that style of music
1: yeah well and I think, musically speaking, I found it entertaining. So there were a lot of things that happened in a few of the tracks that didn't feel like they fit the way that I would want them to fit, but that's that post-punk, you know, kind of alt-whatever scene you want to call it coming through, and that was entertaining. I just felt like uh, his vocal delivery kind of accompanied with that was really my my speed bump to this whole experience uh i did want to go back like for two seconds and talk about you mentioned him releasing these online in
0: yeah
1: yeah um he was releasing tracks originally on myspace in 2011 for this Mm -hmm. and even in 2011 from my memory myspace was already like the geezer social network that was falling apart (laughs) so kudos to him for releasing tracks for this album online but really (laughs) yeah
0: and not you know it's got to be hard as a musician to like try and gauge it's probably easier now because that stuff is more established true but i i I hope that somebody in his personal circle gave him a little bit of grief over that because it is (laughs) like I tried to log into MySpace the other day and could not uh, for the life of me could not remember the username and password I had. Like I tried every email address I had, every password that I can remember using, and it's probably just gone, which is just as well because it was like a terrible looking MySpace page with like dumb pictures of me, you know, but. I mean, he he was trying. He was trying to do the like internet <laughs> connectivity thing. I think it was probably more impressive in 2005 when he started this project than uh, what it is now.
1: Definitely. So why don't you tell me a little bit about uh what you really like about this album?
0: So um I have mentioned the uh the instrumentation of this album. You know, it's very it's it's kind of traditional country country instrumentation being sort of employed in ways that are similar and yet different. Um, One of the things that is really striking to me about this album is Dallas Green's guitar playing. Um, And especially when I was really getting into little hell, I was at central, I was in, uh, you know, in a music program where I was, supposed to be creating music myself and his guitar playing is interesting because kind of the, the simplest way to put it is, you know, you can strum a guitar with a pick or you can do individual like finger picking patterns and stuff. Well, What he does, the thing that I kind of picked up on and really loved and was able to incorporate into my playing is he kind of does a little bit of both where he'll strum a little bit of a pattern and then pick stuff out with his pick, while those chords are still ringing out, um, you can really hear it. And "Oh Sister" is another really good, uh, a really good example of just his kind of unique approach to playing country in the style of like a post-hardcore, like with the sensibilities of a post-hardcore musician. Mm -hmm. um also like and i don't want to get too granular but just the the chords that he plays the specific voicings of them right so where all the notes in that chord are the physical arrangement of his hands on the fretboard all of that really influenced uh my playing but beyond just like the mechanics and kind of stylistic choices his lyrics are very simple Mm -hmm. um he I, I feel like is a good rhymer. Like I enjoy a lot of the rhymes that he employs. And while he doesn't have a lot of like high concept lyrics, right? Like he's not engaging in any like super long extended metaphor, maybe in something like the natural disaster where he's talking about, um, you know, abandoned homes. And you could read that as like a broken down relationship or something He's really just singing on a surface level about his feelings. Uh-huh. And depending on how you execute that, that can be good or that can be bad. And I think he does a really good job of expressing feelings of like sadness and helplessness, melancholy, um, you know, struggling against your kind of inner demons, as he talks about in these songs. He does a good job of just making that plain without being cheesy or bad. At least that's that. Those are the things that strike me about this album.
1: So lyrically speaking, one of the things I will give him credit for, and you just pointed it out is I like that. He isn't trying too hard to put something together symbolically. That probably would be a stretch or weird. Uh, I do appreciate the fact that he's taking music and he's writing lyrics to it that are deeply personal to him or to situations from his life without trying to hide it behind a veil of weird symbolism. One of the, one of the albums that we did uh, early on, uh, Flamingo had a couple of songs that I felt were just so buried in the symbolic undertones that you kind of lost the actual message of the song just in that stuff. And so Dallas Green, I feel like, does an excellent job of just laying it out there and making it accessible. So that's that's one thing to, to his credit.
0: And it's, you know, uh, something that struck me about his music early on was that aspect of it. It was the thing that kind of made me feel like maybe I could get into songwriting. Um, I remember sitting down and writing uh, like a really, <laughs> like a super cheesy song that I wound up playing at one of our shows in rice uh, just as like a little solo bit in the middle. Um, and I don't even remember the words, but it was something really like a real simple song about like, being in high school and feeling like an outsider and like having a hard time relating to people because of the stuff that I had gone through as a person or whatever.
1: Typical. What um, was me?
0: High school stuff.
1: I'm in a glass case of emotion.
0: Oh dude. I was like case study. <laughs> woe was me? And it's funny to look back on that and realize like, yeah, most of that was my fault. Like <laughs> most of that was manufactured. That, oh, yeah, manufactured <laughs> or like like I'm not that original. Just be me. Have fun. But, you know, I think that's what makes his music appealing is, you know, we all have, we all feel sad at times and we all uh, can get into modes where we have more of a negative outlook on things or we feel that we struggle to relate to people or we see like one of the, one of the songs in this album that I really love is Oh Sister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is singing about his anguish about, uh, I mean, the person he refers to in the song as sister. Um, You know, he sees the struggles that this person is going through in their life and how it's kind of laid them low. Um, And so it's sometimes I think it's the simplest expression of those truths that are like most valuable and emotionally resonant. And that that to me is the biggest thing that sticks with me about this album.
1: Well, Chris, based on kind of what you just said, I probably have a pretty good idea of how you're going to rate this album. But I think before we get to that point. We need to figure out what the critics had to say about it.
0: Yeah, why don't you lay the uh, Metacritic rating on us since that tends to be your ballpark.
1: Yeah, because I'm lazy and it's really easy to just go to Metacritic and type in the title and go, oh, yeah, okay. So this
0: No, album... <laughs> I, I was just thinking, like, you actually care what other people have to say. I'm just like, what are the what are the highfalutin critics that have to thing. say about this? <laughs>
1: well, the nice thing about Metacritic is it takes all those highfalutin people together and gives them a number aggregate, so you get a score out of it that makes sense uh, in some sort of weird janky system, I guess. But this album did get 78 out of 100 uh, on 10 critical reviews. So 78, that's a pretty good score. I mean, that's definitely passing in most college courses, so. (laughs) That's a low bar. Uh,
0: Well, it passed comp one, so it's got to be good.
1: I did think it was interesting, you know, in most of the albums that we look at, they've got a a Rolling Stone review or a, you know, music.eu score or whatever. This album being Canadian in origin and being of a very specific subgenre really didn't have the mass market appeal of some of the other albums we've looked at. So there is no Rolling Stone review. There is a death and dying review for it though, I believe, which seemed fitting.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's his demographic. That's probably <laughs> those are all the people who uh who wore like Black eyeliner and uh, Fun- giant Funeral Homes Magazine
1: gave this seven out of
0: ten. <laughs> <laughs> if a website called Death and Dying <laughs> loved it, um, but yeah, I did find a BBC uh, a BBC article about it. Razik Raouf uh, wrote. And I pulled this quote because I feel like you're going to identify with it. While the songwriting is as subtle as it is persuasively catchy and constantly morose, some added variety and bite in in delivery, excuse me, I could use some work on my delivery, would certainly help. And so I think that you are definitely not the only person who had kind of a problem with the sort of, um, I don't know what's a good word, lugubrious. Does that word work? a works? pretty good word. Yeah. The the just I didn't want to use morose because it's already in the review, but it, it is it is sad music for sure. And so I can see why that would not jive with some people.
1: And then sputnikmusic.com, uh, a user review called Some Guest. So, you know, happy uh, anonymity there, buddy, uh, wrote, These lyrical and sentimental ideas are multiplied by Green's genuine songwriting. It is, it may be sappy, it may be somewhat corny, and it may be oversensitive and melodramatic. However, the one thing is, it isn't forced.
0: Yeah, so clearly people connected with it, but people also definitely didn't care for the bummer vibes that uh, Dallas Green uh, was kind of releasing. But I, you know, I know... I know a few people who get a lot of catharsis out of sad music. I would say I'm probably one of those people. You know, I have a good life. I have a lot to be happy about. Uh, But sometimes it helps to, like, hear somebody express all those feelings. But why don't we talk about our feelings (laughs) <laughs> Since that is what this whole silly operation is about. I'm a uh, man. Bottle
1: that stuff up. Ship it <laughs> off. Mr. make a man out
0: of you. Shove it down until it becomes <laughs> cancer. <It's, laughs> okay, so the, there's there's a TikTok account. I'm going to throw this in real quick because it cracks me up every time. There's a TikTok account of uh, um, this like big burly like upper middle-aged dude from Boston and he'll say something absurd and then just say be a man so (laughs) it's like can't find what you're looking for at Home Depot walk away leave the store be a man you know so it's one of those like you know don't want to express your feelings bottle it up don't ever talk about it be a man and he does it like in a studio with people and there's always some guy cracking up because it's so funny. Anyway, that's like a really stupid aside that I had to stop for. Go <laughs> go search that out, listeners, because I think it's hilarious. But why don't you get us back on track by talking about our review scheme and then give us your review. I'm curious.
1: All right. Well, just as a reminder to our listeners, we rate every album on this project based on a scale of one to six guitar strings, one string being an absolutely terrible album that never should have been made, and six strings being, in our opinion, the greatest album ever made. Um, so let's let's talk about what I felt with this album. I've been very upfront about just not liking the vocal delivery. Um, and that is one of the things, as I've listened to your list of albums moving through this project that the review process has become a way for me to really stop and think about both why do I feel a certain way about an album or what makes an album worth being on my list or your list. And this week really caused me to stop because my first impression, kind of like the Bon Iver album, was this is a one-string album. This, I just don't like this. This doesn't work for me. And I don't understand the people who would like this as the week kind of progressed, as things kind of went on in life. And I was listening to this throughout the week. I probably listened to this album mm, all the way through probably six times. So I really put the time into trying to get in the headspace of this album. And as a, as a whole, listening to Dallas Green for the first time and really kind of getting to know some of his stuff, I just felt like this album was a downer. Uh, I can see how it can be a favorite album for many people, though. I totally identify with when, when life is hard or when things aren't quite going the way I want them to go. I can see needing to have the catharsis of hearing somebody else experiencing or expressing what I'm feeling. And so I can see the market appeal to this album. Unfortunately, dealing with that kind of suffering or listening to music for that purpose isn't really my cup of tea. It's not really the thing that I'm interested in doing with my time kind of as a whole. Um, I kind of lead a life where, like you, I'm extremely blessed. I have a lot to live for. I have a lot to be happy about. But I try as a person to not dwell on the things that bring me down, to, to try to find a way to lift myself out of those kinds of situations, because I am definitely one of those people who, if I let myself get into that cycle of self-loathing or dwelling on past pain or the pain that I'm going through right now, it just becomes a vicious cycle that it just becomes next to impossible for me to pull myself out of. So... Because of that and because of the way I felt his voice didn't really work for me on any level, um, I don't know, man. Um, I do love folk music. I do love how haunting the music is kind of in general. Just when I think I know how it's going to work for the next verse or chorus or the next bridge, something new pops in and really kind of tweaks my interest or causes my ears to perk up. But as a whole, this just wasn't mine. And in my review on the show notes, I gave this a two out of six. As a result of our conversation here tonight and kind of struggling through this review, I'm going to say three out of six. This is objectively a good album, but it's not one that I think I'll save on my phone or listen to again.
0: Hey, well, don't don't add... Uh, uh, I, I, I know you're not, but don't I, add a string on my account.
1: It's definitely not on your account. I, I I can see more value as a result of this conversation than I was coming into here to throw at it. Um, but that said, three most of the time, if I give something a three, it's not something that I'm willing to listen to again. So yeah, maybe yeah. maybe in a year, if we're still doing this, I'll give this a listen to, and we'll do an addendum. <laughs>
0: yeah well no pressure i i never want you to feel like oh geez i better like this because chris is being so like so precious <laughs> about it
1: no and I think speaking it's, of dude, me
0: being precious seriously though
1: i think it's incredibly sweet that you guys walked down the aisle to one of the songs on this album and honestly it is one of the better songs on this album like if i had to walk down the aisle to any of them it would be that one so
0: it he really he really starts the album with a bang so Obviously I love this album uh, and I worry that I'm a a little bit at risk for repeating myself because my last album two weeks ago was another album that was one that Megan and I connected over uh, for Emma forever ago. Uh, But I think there are some key differences between that one and this one. Uh, Whereas for Emma forever ago was Justin Vernon kind of, exploring emotions and coming up with that sound for the first time. Little Hell is really an evolution in Dallas Green's style. That's one of the things I love about it because his first two albums was a lot of solo acoustic stuff, maybe like some keys here and there. Uh, But his lyrics and his musical inclinations grew up on this album. Uh, I've never felt like his melodies needed any help, but they improved just the same. They got more focused. And for me, they carried more tension and release than some of his earlier stuff does. Um, and the other way, one of the ways that this album is similar to for Emma for me is that it helped me expand my tastes and push me in a new direction. Uh, my nascent interest in country started with this album and, um, And so that's something that I love about it is it helped me open my eyes to different kinds of music. Um, And, you know, I mentioned it a little bit and I'll just rehash again when Megan and I went and saw him, honestly, this is the best live show I've ever seen. He is a very captivating performer. And I kind of wonder if you were to see him perform live, if it wouldn't be more engaging than sitting and listening to the music and having nothing to focus on but that. Whereas, you know, like in a concert environment, you're with people, there's lights, there's different performers to focus on. Uh, but I'll say it again he nailed every single note of the song and then some. Like as a live singer, he is fantastic. That's awesome. Um, yeah and so that is probably something maybe that has nothing to do with the album you know the live performance and the album can be two completely different things but it's something that i always think of when i hear this album um but you know to sum it up megan and i walked walk down the aisle to we found each other in the dark um we both of us love his melancholic examinations of life's little hells. That's something he talks about in interviews is he's kind of exploring those little things that you have to plow through in life to get to the good stuff. Um, and at the risk of doling too many of these out, I have to give this album six out of six strings. Um, maybe in an objective review, it probably is a four out of six string album, but I love it and I can't help but give it full marks.
1: Let's go to our next segment, which is favorite, least favorite. Uh, Tell me what was your favorite song on this album?
0: So obviously I've kind of pigeonholed myself because I kind of felt bad at choosing a favorite song that wasn't, we found each other in the dark because uh, you know, I walked down the aisle, that's like a super (laughs) high bar. Um, so I'll pick a second favorite. My second favorite tune is weightless. That song has a really great groove and relative to this album has like the heaviest chorus. That's like super rock and roll. Um, and so I really love that tune. What about you? What was your favorite song on the album?
1: I'm actually going to t- give you my least favorite song first
0: because yeah, you it. and I
1: have to have a fight over my favorite and your least favorite. <laughs> oh so no. My least favorite song on this album is natural disaster. Um, I get what he's doing with this song. It's a very literal painting of just the world kind of falling apart after a hurricane or a natural disaster, or, you know, houses being lifted off their foundations. But overall the song is just a weird like it felt like reading the bible book of lamentations it's just woe is the world we've salted the earth nothing's good <laughs> objectively i feel like it's the weakest song on the whole album
0: oh um, man i, I so. almost made this my second favorite <laughs> song <laughs> Well, we are at odds with this album for sure, but with, that's really funny.
1: With that said, I want to hear what your least favorite song is so I can tell you what my favorite song was.
0: Okay, so I want to preface this by saying my least favorite song is a song that I like. I think it's great, uh, but my Don't least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, committed now. Um, my least favorite song. I, I just had to pick one. I couldn't say oh, I liked them all. Uh, is hope for now only because it feels misplaced in the track list? It's a super sad note to end the album on, which obviously that's not out of the ordinary for Dallas Green. Like sad is kind of his MO. Uh, but I think he could have ended it with maybe one of his bigger, kind of a less minor key tunes. But that was your favorite song on the album.
1: I agree. It's misplaced in the track list. It should not have been the ending of the album because I don't think any album should end on a down note. And this (laughs) is going to sound contradictory. This song is the only song on this album that commits one of my seven deadly sins of music, which is it doesn't have an ending. It just fades out, which is huge crime. Don't be lazy. Write an actual ending. Be a man. That's Sid. The reason this is my favorite song on the album is because it is so far misplaced from everything else. If you're going to go sad, if you're going to go to the deepest, darkest, just pit of despair, go for the gold. And this song does. And that's not to say that that's what I love about this song. What really connected with me emotionally about this song is just the development of the song musically from start to finish. It builds To to Mm -hmm. a, a certain climax and then fades out to the ending. So you've got this progressive growth in the music. Lyrically, it's to me probably the most serious and most heart wrenching track on the album, just because I have known so many people like what he's describing that strong individual who's the life of the party or who you rely on because you know that they're a solid rock and they're going to power through and you can rely on them because you need them because you're not strong enough to get through whatever it is. And secretly on the inside that person deals with self doubt is struggling with depression has whatever struggles that are, you know, their own personal demons and they keep that bottled up inside Because they know that everybody else is relying on them. And this song, the first time I heard it, I wasn't really listening to it. I remember the album ending and looping back to play the first track again, and I didn't realize that that had been the end of the album. And so I went back when I had pulled over and was wherever I was, and I played that track again, and... I got goosebumps listening to it because I identified with it so immediately. And it's the only track on this album that I really had that feeling for. And that's one reason why I feel like bumping the the rating up for it a little bit, because I can see how there is an entire audience of people who nine of the 11 tracks or 11 of the 11 tracks would have had that same effect on them. And this is for me the best song on the album. So hope for now it might be your least favorite, but it's my favorite.
0: That, uh, that is a stirring review of just one track on this album. (laughs) I am glad that you found something in a three out of six string album. You were able to find, uh, something that you liked.
1: Definitely. I, I really did. I, that song, I will probably keep around for a while, but, uh, it was good.
0: Good. I'm glad. Well, folks, uh, I think it's time for us to pick our next album. We have to consult the Oracle and see what she or he or she, or they or them, whoever it is. Uh, it's a random number generator. They don't have genders. so
1: Yeah, but anytime Ooh. I say the name Oracle, I think of the Oracle from the Matrix movies
0: hey there so, we go she's a she for sure because i love those movies
1: and i definitely want a cookie with that bent spoon
0: take a cookie oh heck yeah all right all well right. let's let's consult the oracle so we're
1: we're pulling from my list this week and here we go number six. We are doing our first classical album next week. So this might be a really short discussion. Gustav Holst's 1914 symphony, The
0: Planets. No, that doesn't need to be a short discussion. That's fantastic. I'm so excited. We need need to class up the joint a little bit.
1: (laughs) Well, you want to talk about an album that has been in the public domain for a very long time and is in literally every documentary ever made and probably has had... The most impact on modern movies and cinema scoring. Uh, this is this is ground zero for for modern music in the classical scoring segment. So this is going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean John Williams. John Williams had to have something to look at when he wrote all the like Star Wars music, and it was definitely <laughs> Gustav Holst <laughs> brass for days. I I remember loving this out uh, this like collection of works as a kid because i played trumpet i was like there's a lot of brass i'm loving it awesome well folks thank you so much for listening if you've been enjoying our show please rate it and review it on your pod catcher of choice not only do we value the feedback that you uh give us but also you might get your five minutes of uh amateur podcast fame if we feel like any of your comments or reviews or criticisms are interesting enough, we'll read them on air.
1: Yes. And if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at twodudesandtunes at gmail.com. And don't forget to hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Tell us what you thought about Little Hell. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday, where we go on a galactic journey to infinity and beyond at warp nine. Scotty, beam us up.